0: welcome to the Frank and Fearless Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Harris. Uh, I work with senior leaders, teams, chief execs, MDs, and anybody else that wants to have more focus, flow, and fun in work and in life. Today, I'm joined by a good friend of mine who will hear the reason why, but I'm actually really glad that he's here and he's on because a couple of months ago, I'm not sure if he was going to be here. So I'd like to welcome Uh, to you all, the wonderful Mr. Neil Wilkie. Hello, Neil. Good day, Adam. Lovely to be here. Thank you. So, Neil, let's kick straight off because you are known, regarded, respected as somebody who works in the realms of relationships. Let's start
1: with what is a relationship? That's a very good question. We all have relationships, whether we're aware of them or not, with any human being we come across, and that relationship may be very short or it may be very long, it may be very wonderful or it may be very bad, and they impact not just on us how, how we feel but also on the other person and how we make them feel through what we do so relationships i'd say is is the glue that holds the whole of the world together so how long have you been because
0: you and I met through um Vistage the organization for uh peer groups for chief execs and MDs etc but you've always kind of had this passion and desire to work specifically on on relationships w- where did that come from how did you
1: kind of get started into into that realm I probably got started about 15 years ago but I I, I guess as most things it comes from my early life experiences so yeah, my, my parents uh, provided a stable background, but it didn't feel like a loving background because they weren't really able to express their feelings. So for a big part of my life, I was trying to get praise from my father, but that never happened. And I realised when he died, when I gave his eulogy, that because of where he grew up, which was effectively in World War II in Bomber Command, going up every night knowing that the likelihood is he had not come back, you know, what that does to somebody's feelings, whether he just had to suppress feelings to get through what he was doing. And that continued to play out through through his life. And it took me until my 40s to realise, okay, I was never going to get praise from my father, no matter what I did. And to get obvious love from my mother probably wasn't going to happen anyway. So, yeah, I realised that they were they were there for me if I needed them in a the practical sense, but I needed to find love elsewhere. And in terms of yeah, you know, normal love in life, um, I was a late starter because I was put up a year in school because they thought I was bright, but that meant I started grammar school effectively two years younger physically and emotionally than than my peers, and that was hard. So my reaction to that was to play the fool, to not work, to be disruptive. And um, that was my way of coping with a difficult situation. But I eventually got through that and started looking for a loving relationship um, and found that hard to come by. So, yeah, I was married for three years. That didn't work out because she... Liked having relationships with other people, uh, then married for 22 years, and that was okay. Was it love? I'm not sure it was, actually. Um, And when I decided I wanted to take a different path in life, we we grew apart. So, third love of my life, she died pretty quickly from a brain tumour, so... I learnt what loss was all about, and learnt what it's like helping, helping somebody come to a gentle ending, to a life far sooner than wanted. So true love only came last in a lasting way four years ago when I met met Gwen and married her, and that that's been transformative. So it's taken me a long time to find out what love really is, and I yeah. I grew up in a business environment, I qualified as a chartered accountant because my father wanted me to be that, I certainly didn't fit my desires in life, and had a successful business career, but felt unfulfilled, but I hadn't really worked out what I wanted in life. So about 15 years ago, I sold my businesses and trained as a psychotherapist. And there I found something which really resonated with me. I could help people on their journey through life, help them cope with difficulties and help them work out what they really wanted out of life and to find happiness and fulfillment. So that was one path I took, working with CEOs and their partners to help them look at their whole life, not just their business, but also their personal life. And to get some happiness and fulfilment. And I, the other path I took was with the chief executive mentoring organisation, Vistage, where, where I met you and spent about 10 years working with CEOs, um, helping them develop themselves and their businesses. And that was a wonderful opportunity to really get to understand and help people to get to a better place. But what I realized looking back was probably about 70% of the problems they had in their businesses were about relationships relationships with their colleagues, with their staff, with their bankers, with their investors, with their suppliers, customers. And they didn't really know how to deal with those relationships. They just, if there's a problem employee, they just hope they'd go away eventually and maybe a couple of years when nothing had changed, they'd get rid of them, uh, but that was all very unsatisfying. So to help them get to the core of what the relationships were, or what needed to change, became my mission. So, yeah, I'd been working with relationships for about 15 years, and it became a real passion for me on my honeymoon, which is a strange time to... Unleash that sort Ooh. of passion Go on, tell us more So, um, we were I don't want the seedy details <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so We both loved sailing So we went to the West Indies We, we chartered a small boat And we were sailing around in the sunshine Visiting beautiful islands And, and having a nice time And We started talking about deeper stuff because Gwen is actually a a coach and organisational development expert. So, you know, for the first time I was living with somebody who could actually dig deep and talk about feelings and to talk about the future. So she started exploring what future did I want? And I talked about my desire to write a book and thought, well, why do I want to write a book? And realised I was probably wanting to write a book because I was trying to get praise from my father. Um, and it would feel good to my ego to have a bookshelf somewhere with my my thoughts on it. So I thought about what should the book be about? Um, could it be about my life? Well, it was quite interesting to me, but probably not that interesting to other people could it be about my business experiences and i wasn't sure i had anything new to offer there or could it be about relationships and i thought yeah i've got many years of personal relationships experience both good and bad but i've also got about 15 years of experience of working with couples and working with businesses where relationships were at the forefront of the problems so I felt I had something new to offer there so I decided okay I was going to write a book about relationships and my relationship model started to come together within a few days because I, I've, I've bought hundreds of books on relationships I've even read some of them and most of them are pretty dull most of them are written by Americans as textbooks that If you do X, then Y will happen. If you do A, then B won't happen. And I thought what was needed was a different style. So I thought, maybe if I wrote it as a story, as a parable, so that people could engage with a couple going through relationship problems, and they could see both perspectives, because what struck me in my work is, one of the couple would look at exactly the same situation in the one way the other would look at it in a very different way and my view is in a relationship there is no reality there's only perception and i i was just going to say neil i bought a
0: number of your books and i've i've given god knows how many away and what i love about your book it is this aspect of coming at it from both sides uh, a speaker friend that both you and i know paul mcgee uh speaks about this aspect of if you imagine a beach ball with uh six different colors on um what you see is very different to what i see because we we've, we've got diff- we've got different perspectives what i loved about your book was writing it from the perspective of the of the husband in the relationship and then the wife in the relationship and i found myself reading it and kind of going oh what yeah okay and 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 everybody that I've passed the book on to says the same thing it's it's for me it's a true art of genius of what what led you to think do you know what I'm going to write a book which is going to be the same story but from two different perspectives
1: yeah what what was that moment made, made me think yeah that would be a great idea um I wasn't quite sure what the trigger for that was but Through my work with couples, it was fascinating hearing one person's story, hearing the other person's story, and making sure they both heard each other and understood their perspectives. And it wasn't a case of, you're right, I'm wrong, I'm right, you're wrong. It's a question of, this is how we see our worlds, and they're different. And that's okay, because what we really need to do is to understand the other's feelings and the other's map of the world. Um, so when I made the decision I was going to write the book as a story rather than as a textbook I thought, yeah, it makes perfect sense to have two people telling their story differently
0: What, what I love about you, Neil and you've already said it and we're only a short period into, the, uh, into this conversation is that you are so raw, so vulnerable, so authentic is that you share so much of yourself have you always been like that, or is that something that you've you've learnt over the years?
1: No, that's that's very new. Um, and yeah, I was brought up to be very closed, not to express feelings because yeah, big boys don't cry and don't show feelings because that shows you're weak. Um, so my feelings leaked out in being disruptive, I guess. And throughout my early work career I spent a lot of the time just being frustrated that everything I was doing was a task and nobody was allowed to express how they felt. And that just felt wrong to me. So it was only 15 or so years ago when I started working with psychotherapy and with relationships that i realized to actually express how i felt was incredibly powerful and very freeing and yeah my work with ceos and mastermind groups i felt it was a real privilege to be able to dig really deep into them and their lives and to create the space in which they could talk about stuff they had never felt able to talk to anyone about that. They could cry, they could get support, that they could really open themselves up and be vulnerable, and to to have that ability and space to be able to do that is life changing.
0: So, your role is very much around holding the space for others, about creating the con the container, as I call it. Yeah. Um how do you know when, how do you build that container and how do you ensure that it's safe for people to share? Whether that be like from a one-on-one perspective, from a, from a couple or from a wider perspective with a group.
1: How do I create it? Well, first of all, I, I just be me and I'm humbled really by the fact that Somebody who doesn't know me at all can, within a few minutes of a conversation starting, really open up. So there's something in that emotional connection which makes them feel it's, it's safe to do that. The second thing is to be silent when, when needed. So many people just want to rush to problem-solve. But if you just pause, let them speak, and then pause again and see what more comes out and it's yeah it's it's magical when it happens really well
0: i, I remember a phrase that I heard many years ago, which was "Let the silence do the heavy lifting yeah. um, and you know often as a as a coach or as a as a leader. Knowing that you're not gonna, you're going to say something, and then you're going to not say anything, and allow the other person to say something. I think mean, there, there's definitely this uh, magical dance that 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 happens between uh, you and the person that, that you're with. Let me ask you, um, what makes a good relationship, and what makes a bad relationship?
1: Okay, um, so my relationship model, the relationship paradigm, which I which I created sailing around the Caribbean four or so years ago, I I worked out, you know, from all the couples I'd worked with, there were six key elements in the relationship. First is communication, being able to talk to each other and express how you genuinely feel and be listened to. The second one is connection, and that is that mysterious place where two individuals just feel joined together emotionally just feel that they are inhabiting the same space together and that can just be a look it can be a touch or it can be wild sex swinging from the chandeliers but it's just in that moment um, yeah feeling the world is stopped and they're the only person that is key to a good relationship the third is commitment because relationships are actually bloody hard work um you yeah, know we're brought up with the view that you fall in love and you're transported off on this lovely fluffy cloud into the pinkness of the the world and yeah falling in love is wonderful but staying in love is really hard work because it requires you to be vulnerable it requires you to work on the us of you as a couple and it requires you to focus on something outside yourself at times so the next element is is fun Um, fun is hugely important to us as human beings if we're not having fun then we're missing something in life and as Peter Drucker said there's only two reasons for being in business one is to make money and the second is to have fun and if you're not doing both you should be doing something different so it's important in business it's important in the relationship as well and and so many couples I work with who've been married 10-20 years ask I ask them the question, when do the two of you last have fun together? And so often I'm just met with an embarrassed silence, looking at the feet, thinking. And often the answer is, it was a long time ago. And that's tragic. Um, so the fifth key element in the relationship is growth. Um, It's like like a plant, it needs to be nourished, it needs to be watered, it needs sunlight, and it needs to grow, otherwise it's just gonna die off. And it's not just growth of the relationship, it's growth of each individual in the relationship. And what happens quite often is one, one of them grows, the other just stays as they were, and feels frustrated and outclassed by the other it happens a lot with the man typically who has a career and focuses his energies on that and the lady's left at home with the children when the children leave home he's got his career she's got nothing purpose is gone so the sixth element is is trust and trust is assumed to be there until something happens to disrupt it and trust is, is the foundation, because if trust isn't inherently there, if you don't feel that you can believe what the other person is saying or doing, then it's all on very shaky ground, and all the rest becomes very different. So just, just repeat the six for us. So, six key elements on, on the relationship paradigm are communication connection, commitment, fun, growth, and trust.
0: And when, when you get people coming to you for relationship, coaching, psychotherapy, um, what's the one or two that is the one that they're really struggling with?
1: It's normally communication is the first one to start to create the problems. Mm -hmm. You know, He, she doesn't understand me. I can't talk to them. They don't listen. Um, If I do talk to them, they just try and solve the problem when all I want to do is to be understood. And when the communication starts to go, everything else starts to go as well and people drift apart, separate emotionally. So if there's people
0: that are listening to this who are like, hmm... There's certain aspects of those points that you've made which uh, um, I'm feeling, thinking, um, not getting. What's the one or two things that you would be recommending that they should be doing first?
1: The first is to create time and space where they can just listen to each other, explore how they feel. And they need to be able to ask each other questions so often people if they pick up uh, their partner is unhappy the question they ask is are you okay and the almost inevitable response would be yeah why whereas if they instead asked how are you feeling right now that might create a much better response how are you feeling gives them permission to talk about their feelings and the right now keeps them pinned down to that moment. They can't go back to the past, how they might've felt yesterday. They can't create a false future of how they'd like to be feeling. How are you feeling right now? I think is the most powerful question to ask in a relationship. So how are you feeling right now? (laughs) I'm feeling, yeah, I'm feeling good. It's um, is lovely to talk to you and the last couple of months have been
0: interesting for me. Yeah, um, now would probably be as good a time as any to, uh, to share the fact that you are actually still here, Neil. I'm still alive.
1: Yes, so I thought I was fit, healthy, well, don't smoke, don't drink, uh, eat reasonably well. If I cl- exclude the occasional ice cream um exercise regularly do quite a lot of exercise and I thought was pretty good at coping with stress so in terms of all the factors that affect illness I thought I was doing really well and very importantly too I'm in a loving and very supportive relationship so I was out cycling uh about 11 weeks ago, early in the morning, and suddenly felt there's something very wrong. Didn't know what it was, but I realized I couldn't continue. If I did continue, I had this vision of myself dropping dead in a ditch in the dark. So I went back home and took on the typical man thought of, oh, I'll get better. Um, so the next day, it wasn't any better at all. And I still had the sense. That's, my body was telling me something. So I rang my GP and said, I'd just like to have an ECG so I can rule out my heart being a problem. And she said, you need to go into A&E and get dealt with straight away. So I saw some clients, had some more clients in the afternoon and thought, well, do I leave it till tomorrow? Or, okay, maybe I'll need to postpone those. And I drove into hospital, left my car on the meter because I thought this isn't going to take long. And was seen very quickly. The NHS rose to the occasion wonderfully. Gave me a blood test, gave me an ECG, and a lovely nurse called Helen came and said, you've had a heart attack. And I thought, oh. Word beginning with F, ending in K. (laughs) Um, How did that happen? And I just accepted. Okay, it's happened. I'm now a passenger in the warm embrace of the, uh, the doctors and nurses. Next day, I had a thing called an angiogram where they look at your body from the inside, which is a surreal experience. And the lovely consultant said, you can't have a stent. It's too far gone. You need to have a quadruple heart bypass. And I said, when? And she said tomorrow. And I thought, wow, this is much quicker than expected. And I can't even question why or should I or can I wait. Um, it was, yeah, I'm I'm having this done whether I like it or not. And at that time, Gwen was away working in Barcelona, and I couldn't really communicate with her, other than a snatch WhatsApp message saying, I've had a heart attack, and I'm having a big operation tomorrow. Um, And I was wheeled in to the operation and came conscious a couple of days later. So I was in a coma for two days. And I think I died once on the operating table because the operation lasted twice as long as it normally does. And secondly, afterwards, because I had this sensation that I was awake in a very strange, dark place. But it it was okay. But it wasn't real life um, so yeah when I came round eventually I thought this is a very strange experience to have gone through and uh, the recovery took a long time um, and there was another period where I had to go back into hospital because I had a thing called atrial flutter where the heart just races uncontrollably and they dealt with that another operation to come in four weeks time to deal with the atrial flutter but and also sorry just a, a brief instant yesterday when I was again <laughs> taken to hospital by ambulance so
0: um, 11, 11 weeks on yeah from a, a literally a life-threatening situation um Potentially, you feel that you died twice, and or there are some very eerie moments. I hear a lot of people go, oh, you know, I had some, I had a, a life changing moment, and it affected my life, and I made suddenly made different choices." Have you started to or thought about making different choices now as a result of what happened?
1: Yes and no. I mean, I had to adopt patience and accept that I was going to spend more more time than I'd like sitting in the chair, not exercising. Uh, And I've really struggled with that to begin with. But then I embraced the concept of convalescence takes time. You have to um, give your body space to recover. Uh, Because actually the heart is not just a muscle. It's got intelligence. And what was done to me physically was difficult, but what was done emotionally as difficult so so one is embracing patience second is to value what you have rather than racing onto something new and just sitting you know watching the sun watching the birds it's something I give them more time to and the third is really embracing what gives me fulfillment so my days were I was probably working six days a week and doing a lot of things, some of which I love and were fulfilling, some of which were hard work and less fulfilling. So Gwen did a wonderful job just cancelling any appointment for two months in my diary. So that gave me the freedom, of space to not rush back into things. So I'm going through the process of thinking, well, okay, I've... Started to re-engage with the work, which is easy and fulfilling. I need to think, what am I going to do with the rest of my time? Do I just relax, or do I do do more work? So I'm allowing the universe the time and space to tell me what what to do next. So, So You you spoke a
0: lot uh, about relationships, and obviously that's your... Topic, how how have your relationships changed, if at all, in the last 11 weeks?
1: It's first of all shown me um, just how much love there is around me friends, colleagues, relatives, people I haven't spoken to for some time. To really be able to reconnect with them and have their support has been wonderful. Uh, Gwen has been absolutely magnificent in being supportive, being my carer for quite a few weeks, but also helping me realise if I die tomorrow, it would be okay for me, but it would leave behind a lot of sadness, and I don't want that, so... Yeah, it's important to to carry on and to continue to love and support other people around me. What I hadn't really come to grips with except in the last week was the impact of all of this on other people. You know, the, the fear, the, the anger, the sadness that has been generated particularly in Gwen and the need to understand that and help support her through that so in terms of relationships generally it's strengthened that although I was in a pretty good place but yes it's made it even better and it's given time and space to talk more about life and the meaning of it
0: um Neil let's just talk about uh relationships at work so we, we've spoken about your relationship spoken about uh, relationships in a, in a couple but i often speak to chief execs md senior leaders and you know oh i just don't get dave he just doesn't get what i want him to do um as you take the relationship paradigm as a as a concept how and what is it that leaders should be doing more of and less of with regards to the relationships that we have within the workplace?
1: Yeah, relationships at work are are a huge problem. As I might have said earlier, I reckon about 70% of business problems are down to relationships. And the relationship paradigm model I created was for couple relationships. But I realised about a year ago, it's perfectly suited to the business world as well. Because in a good working environment, you need to be able to communicate with your boss, with your colleagues, with your staff. You need to all be committed to the purpose and the future of the organisation, all heading in the same direction together. And you need to be connected as well. There needs to be the trust, there needs to be the ability to to be vulnerable with each other and to talk about how you're feeling. Because, yeah, so often people put a mask on when they go to work and they pretend everything's okay. But actually, if you've got that connection, if you feel the other people have got your back, then you can be vulnerable. Fun is hugely important. As Peter Drucker said, the only reasons for working is to make money and have fun. How many organisations... Is fun allowed how often you're allowed to laugh allowed to do silly things and it seems to be forbidden and that's that's just wrong um next area is about growth yes the organization needs to grow but that doesn't just have to be growth in turnover growth in profit it can be growth in in its purpose in changing the world and the individuals need to grow as well. They they need their desire to be uh, better human beings fed by their work because work takes up a huge proportion of their time. And lastly, trust. You know, If you don't trust your boss, if you don't trust your staff, if you don't trust your colleagues, then suspicion is under the surface and that's quite toxic. So uh, as a leader what's
0: the one or two things that they should be doing daily, weekly what's the consistent things to assure that you've got high performing relationships
1: ok, the, the main things I would say is first of all it comes back again to communication it comes back to helping people express their feelings, help them talk about their life outside of work help them talk about how they're feeling about the work they're doing whether they got the autonomy they need, whether they're frustrated. Um, yeah, and to ask that feeling question. How are you feeling right now? And if if the organisation has regular coaching sessions, the boss to their staff, um, yeah, bring in that dangerous question. How are you feeling rather than how's work going? And secondly, I would say is about ensuring first of all the business has a very clear purpose ensuring the business has a strong why that the staff are signed into because if they don't know what the purpose is they're working in a vacuum if they don't agree with the purpose they shouldn't be there Mm -hmm. so making sure the purpose is clear making sure everyone is actually committed to achieving that it's
0: hugely important. Uh, I'm just watching uh, a TV series at the moment on Apple TV called Severance. It's really quite interesting about uh, how the staff go down in an elevator and they have an innie and an outie. So when they go down in the elevator, as soon as they've had this, in theory, microchip put into their heads, they can't remember anything about their outside life so they cut they go down into a into a basement the separation between work and home you know there there's the concept about work life balance about work life blend a uh, a speaker friend of mine and yours uh, nigel risner t- has a quote which is if it's not working in the business sorry if it's not working in the boardroom it's not working in the bedroom if it's not working in the bedroom it's not working in the boardroom how and what, as leaders, should we be doing to navigate the relationship and the dynamics between what
1: happens at work and what happens at home? First of all, they need to realise that they're, they're not separated. And when somebody gets on the lift to, to go up into work, they can't leave their personal life behind. It does impact on how they're feeling, does impact on their commitment, their performance. And it's difficult to segregate the two. So people talk about work-life balance as if they're two separate things. I say there is life. Part of that life is work. Part of that life is home. Part of that life is other things as well. So you you can't neatly uh, put a boundary between the two of them. You need to look at what's going to make you as a person achieve your values what you want. Yeah, you know, my, my values, for example, my three key values are love, fun, and fulfillment. And I get those at home, I get those at work. And the two aren't different. I don't become a different person when I go to work, just wanting to earn money. I only do it because I enjoy doing it and find it fulfilling. Being mm. paid for it is helpful, but not the only driver. So... Understanding that yeah, pe- people's home life, people's life outside of the work is part of them and they bring that with them. They bring that, that shadow or that sunshine with them when they step in through the office doors. And you know, lockdown and hybrid working, working from home has muddied whatever boundaries there might have been. Between work and home. If you're working from home, you can't switch off from home completely. You are in your home, but you're having to do other stuff as well. So, yeah, I would ask leaders to understand the whole person rather than just the person who turns up through the office door.
0: Um. Neil you you do something that's quite different you do this aspect of duo coaching uh, and I'd love for you to just share what
1: that is and how it works Okay. so when I first got into relationship work the traditional relationship model is you go along to see a counsellor, one counsellor and you have a 50 minute session, same time uh, same place every week And I had my personal experience of that a few times and I thought there's a big problem here. One is I felt the counsellor was often siding with my then wife and secondly I could sense them starting to look at the clock 49 minutes in and when the 15 minutes were up is, well thank you, see you next week, even if I was mid-sentence, even if yeah, you know, forty-eight minutes being her talking about what a bastard I was, and I only had two minutes to talk about what I wanted to talk about. And the third issue was about it all sort of drifted along, wallowing in the past rather than having a clear outcome focus. So I, I decided what was needed was two two counselors, two therapists working together, so one male, one female, which would make sure that both felt listened to and understood. Um, secondly, I thought the sessions needed to be much longer, much more intensive, and with a defined pattern. So we started working with six sessions spread over a few months. First session is about understanding how the couple had got to where they were, and also to clarify the outcomes they both wanted. And that to do all of that takes about three and a half hours. And my view was we're going to build in some flexibility. So if it took three hours, 35 minutes, three hours, 45 minutes, the space to do that to end in a good place. The outcomes were very important so we can calibrate. Are we actually getting you close to those outcomes or not? And to have six sessions spread over a few months gave gave them an outline of this is how long it's going to take these are how many sessions are going to be needed. So it's not an infinite number of sort of unending uh, sessions. It's, yeah, this is what we think it'll take to fix it. And the other issue is about providing support outside of the sessions because it's important to deal with problems as they occur rather than deal with the aftermath of them. So... I made the commitment. You can call us 24/7, any time, any problem. We're here, and that's hugely reassuring to to the couple that, you know, we do exist for them outside of the sessions. And I'm yet to be called at three o'clock in the morning, but uh, yeah, I've had a few ang- anguished calls, um, yeah, in the in an argument about to escalate or a real problem that's keeping somebody awake at night Uh, what else is different making sure that people are actually committed to working on the relationship so it's not just a question of you come along to the session and come to the next session and then come to the next one it's okay we're going to give you work to do between sessions so we're going to make sure you apply your learning in real life rather than just let it wash over you and hope the other person's going to change, so it will all be fixed. So, yeah, it's, it's a unique approach. Um, I haven't come across anyone else with the same approach, and I love doing it because it, it is life changing. I mean, it's sad that I think the record of had is a couple have been together for 30 years, of which 28 years were in absolute misery. Wow, yeah, why didn't you come to us after two years when it was yeah. going wrong? Uh,
0: and, and just on that, because we're, we're coming to a, towards a close, um, what you know, the most important relationships in our lives—something um, that we've invested so much time, energy, some people would say, you know, money as well. There often seems to be this big fear or reluctance to want to engage a third party or an external to facilitate the comp- Why Why is that, in your experience?
1: It, it's bizarre. I think it's part, partly the, the cultural culture of the UK. Um, yeah, you know, I, I came from a place where you don't talk about your emotions. It's, it's a sign of weakness. In the US, it's much more accepted. But um, you've just got to get people through the door to understand that their life could be so much happier if they're able to talk about the feelings, talk about the differences and resolve them. But so often people try and buy replacement happiness. They go on expensive holidays, they buy a bigger house, they buy a flashier car, but they're still not happy. And they're living with somebody who they're not in a great relationship with anymore. And to help people understand that actually your life could be so much happier. A relationship with somebody you once loved could be so much better. And is actually very easy to fix. Mm. But you can't do it yourself. Yeah, if if your car was making funny noises, would you try and fix it yourself? Or would you try and would you take it to an expert, a garage, who can plug it into their machine and tell you exactly what's wrong and fix it?
0: So for a number of people listening Uh, as i'm sure it's probably the case with a lot of people is they don't know where to go where are the resources what who should they be looking for uh what would your recommendations be if people would like help
1: if they'd like help um first of all to talk to their partner to make sure their partner understands and is aligned with that and yeah it depends where they live Depends what their problem is, but I created a website, The Relationship Paradigm, to try and reach a much wider audience than I can reach face to face. And um, what I put together there was a, a range of resources which are accessible and free. And also an online program which people can sign up to, which will help them get to a better place. But yeah, anyone who's listening to this who needs to talk about relationships, who needs some help, very happy to do that. Whether it's relationships at home or relationships in business, I can I can talk, I can listen, I can point them in the right direction and see, yeah, what journey they want to go on. Because. Yeah, my my very wonderful coach who's probably sitting in a room somewhere in New Zealand um, when I first started talking about my my book which I'd started writing when I talked about what I was planning on doing he got me to create a new mission for myself which is to impact and improve 10 million relationships around the world in this decade and that's yeah feels really important to me. It feels also I'm doing what I can with what I have to help humanity to a better place i I'd love to do that
0: and for those you you can't see, but as Neil says that, you can see the big grin and smile on his face. but I'm sure you can feel as you listen to this, you can feel with the heart how much this actually means to to Neil. Uh, and all of the lives that you have changed And I know that you will You will change as you move forward uh, Neil last question um, You spoke about fun in a relationship What do you do for fun
1: In a relationship <laughs> um, We do a lot Some, Sometimes planned fun Sometimes just happens So um first thing that comes to mind is often on a Saturday morning we just create space where we can just talk and we have really surreal, funny conversations and unleash humour, which is great because it makes us get up in the morning with a real smile on our faces. Um, Secondly, commitment I made when I got married is to take a week off a month and to travel, to go sailing so we got the boat which is currently in France and we're trying to stick to that commitment to just go somewhere different be in a space where we can travel where we can be free from work and everything else and just enjoy being in a different culture being at sea, being on the coast, being anchored it's a great way of um, yeah, experiencing the world And other than that, it's making sure there is time just to see what emerges. And yeah, scheduling stuff is good, but accidental fun is actually even better.
0: Neil, thank you ever so much. Um, You have a huge amount of energy, but your pace and your slowness and your steadiness is just uh i i i just love speaking to you um as neil mentioned if you want to find out more about him please go to the relationship uh, a lot of resources there that are available and as i mentioned before he has an amazing fantastic book uh as i say often if you have enjoyed listening to this podcast please forward it to just one person because you never know that this might be the podcast that they need to listen to mm tomorrow or next week which is going to impact them as a leader as a as a human um, and they can just take great joy from the conversations that i have because i take to a huge amount of joy um, till next time i'm adam harris this is the frank and fearless leadership podcast where i help individuals leaders businesses have more focus flow and fun Till next time bye for now